pray. Um, Almighty God, who alone canst order the unruly wills and affection of sinful men, grant unto thy people that they may love the thing which thou commandest, and desire that which thou dost promise, so that among the sundry and manifold changes of the world our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You know, this is a way of gathering. Um, I thought I was uh, uh, very clever when I woke up early yesterday and as I was waking up, having my coffee and looking around the internet a little bit. Um, saw a great interview by, um, is Michael in here, Sainsbury? By Louis C.K., comedian that Michael Sainsbury used several times as illustrations for, um, uh, for his class this summer. Uh, uh, well, I wasn't as clever as what I thought, but I saw it in five different places, including AL.com, with this interview that he had with Conan O'Brien. I'm looking. I don't see any nods. I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, this Conan O'Brien last week about why he doesn't want his children to have cell phones. It's really poignant, actually. And there's a little bit of color um, in his language. He peppers it. Uh, he's probably not a believer. He's probably not religious at all. I'm going to use him as an example in a minute. Um, uh, but I do think um, a little bit that I know of him, and that's mostly through Michael Sansbury, he seems to be a pretty astute observer of the human condition, of human nature, which is to say uh, one who thinks deeply, which is why it can be used in comedy, one who thinks deeply about the uh, subrational and irrational motivations for how we do things and why we do things or maybe don't do things, um, some of what he said. Has, uh, has been pretty incisive, and that's this is one of them. Um, uh, and so as a result, I've had Jungle Land uh, by Bruce Springsteen just bouncing around in my brain all day. So and if you listen to it, you'll know what it is. So go out and look for it. I'm probably going to use it in a few weeks as I do something for, uh, for fifth and sixth grade parents. But I don't know why I mentioned that. Um, last week, as we're going through Romans, this week we're in Romans 4, which means last week we did Romans, I mean Romans 5, which means... Uh, uh, we did Romans um, 4 last week, the great word logizomai, which is a fancy, it's a Greek word, sounds really highfalutin and all that stuff, and it is, but there's, you know, it's a good reason to, to come to a Sunday school class and learn certain words. The root of the word logizomai, which is a verb, is, is logos, which is the word we use for word, and so tied the... Uh, the idea that not only did the word become flesh and dwell among us, but the word became a verb and uh, did itself to us, logizomai, that we've been worded in, 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 a, in significant ways. That's Romans 4, what we use the word impute or reckoned or counted as or something else like that. But this week we're into Romans 5. What I intend to do is take about 15 minutes and dive in uh, uh, to some of the text, kind of pick it apart a little bit like we did with Romans 4 and the others and, and not have a whole lot of apology, you know, doing some, some theology work, as it were, but then shift gears and look at a clip from Saving Private Ryan, um, a couple of hymns from Charles Wesley, and, uh, and continue to, uh, uh, to find ways that this is, in fact, good news for us in our, 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 our daily life. So the text... <coughs> Let's go ahead and just start Romans 5, 1 through, um, let's just do 1 through 11. I don't know that we're going to get through Romans 12 through 21, which is a, really the primary source text for the doctrine of original sin. Um, so it's certainly uh, a lot there. It's not because it's filler. 
Um, it's a private joke that only I know. Um, uh, not because it's filler, uh, but just because I have to draw lines somewhere. Um, so, uh, Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, our, that suffering produces endurance, and that endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Dense, you know, important, great words, you know. Um, not a big fan of memorizing scripture per se, um, meaning, you know, you should go out and memorize scripture or whatever, because I just think it, our human hearts and our fallenness take that and turn it into a new law. Um, but it would be a fond hope of mine that uh, many of us would just so read Mark, learn, and inwardly digest the, the, uh, the living water that is Romans, that Romans 5.8 would just trip off of our tongue, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that is worth, that is worth, that is worth a thousand lives, that while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. Um, that's sort of our, our locus point. That's in some ways the locus point of, of much of, 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 uh, of the entire book of Romans, but we're working up to that. Um, but going through, and again, I'm going to start to say very disciplined because there's just so much to say, but I'm going to try to, to really mark our time. Um, starting at the beginning, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just so starting there, this massive question this massive question, which, which Romans successively builds. And so we don't divorce at all what we've been doing, although every class, you know, come if you miss a class, of course. But certainly, Romans, amongst really any of Paul's books, builds on itself. So in full view of Romans 1 through 4, the therefore of Romans 5, 1, therefore, since the causality, the hanging on all that we've just looked at, logitzomai, that we have been worded, um, that we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Massive question. Peace with God. Do I have peace with God? Um, that's a biggie. Do I have peace with God? Um, uh, objectively true that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The objection uh, or the objective truth that as it just picks up in Romans 4.25, which is the therefore, that Christ Jesus, who was delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification, therefore, 
we have peace with God. So what's he hinging it on? He's hinging on the historical, the objective truth, the demonstrable, uh, historical, in real time, chronos, because he's going to contrast that with the word that he uses in a minute, kairos, um, in the chronology of this world, something decisive happened that Christ Jesus was delivered, given up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Therefore, since that event happened, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Objectively true, but subjectively difficult to believe. We just going to run right up to it, because Paul is going to run right up to this. This difficult to believe. Luther, through much, you know, no secret, you know, my primary influence, uh, called this, in fact, um, in his commentary on Galatians, uh, in the intro, and, and it's the same exact same intro in Romans, I think it's 1-7, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, um, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God uh, by grace alone. This, Luther said, is the hardest thing. To be convinced in our hearts that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hardest thing. Why is it so hard? This massive question. Because as grace and peace, what does grace do? Grace releases us from sin, and peace is the description of an unbound conscience, of a quieted conscience. I know myself, and I know um, I know you, even though I don't know you, if you know what I mean, uh, that our sin and our conscience torment us, that they are the destroyers. They are the monsters that lurk in the dark. Um, they are the very thing which undoes uh, in this world, in this time, in the chronology, the tick, tick, tick of, 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 of this world. The, uh, uh, they, they assault the objective truth of Christ Jesus who was delivered over for my trespasses and raised for my justification. So as grace releases us from sin and, and peace makes our consciences quiet, it's still true that um, from the inside out, I know discontent rather than contentedness. I know my sinfulness rather than my um, cleanliness, depending on which metaphor we want to use. Stay tuned. Romans 7, he squares right up to that before you know Mount Everest in, in Romans 8. And so all of this is continuing to be gathered and accumulated, so to speak, uh, to bring this forward. Um, Frank's great sermon. The truth is out there. Fox Mulder's you know, poster. Um, we should. We should get that. Not here, because this is really important. We should put it right <laughs> over here. The truth is out there. Lots of different ways. Used it last week. We look for another. That's Christ Jesus, the one who is yet to come. We're not looking for Abraham. We're not looking for Moses. We're looking for someone else, the one who was delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, it's also true. The truth is out there. It's not in me. What do I need in order to have grace and peace? I need the truth out there because it's not found in me. This is the reason that we fight so hard for Scripture what the reformers would describe as sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority, which means scripture alone has our authorship of what we know. Because this is not something four out of five dentists agree on, that Christ Jesus was delivered over for my sins and raised for my justification. Therefore, I have peace, peace with God. We wouldn't know this if it weren't for scripture. 
the truth is out there, it's not in me. It's extra nos, which is the shorthand, the Latin shorthand for um, outside of ourselves, we have to be told. This is why, and I don't want to chase this as a rabbit, um, but this is why, and, and, and join me if you'd like, don't if you don't, um, you know, in the sexuality question and the way it's being usurped um, amongst many of the church to think that the church keeps getting drawn into the sex question. It's not a question of sex. It's a question of authorship and authority and how we, we know what we know. Um, the truth is out there. We believe that it's out there as revealed in the words of God through his scripture and as the word becomes a verb through Christ Jesus who was delivered over for our death and raised for our justification. The truth is extra nos. It's external to us and it will remain so always because it's not in us to know anything otherwise. Um, so that's my little sort of end of where all this sort of accumulates in sort of real time as we're at these wine and cheese parties where we're having more wine than cheese. Um, so peace cannot come unless our sins first are forgiven um, uh, and our hearts may there be quieted. This is spiritual peace, psychological peace, financial peace. Um, uh, peace. Um, peace cannot happen when the debtedness, my indebtedness, my debtedness is known. We'll see that with the Saving Private Ryan clip or the movie that I'm anticipating right now with real eagerness, Ender's Game, um, great old book, 25, 30 years old, um, science fiction uh, coming out in November, I think it is. Uh, great book about scorekeeping, about debtedness, about no peace. Um, uh, so throw it out there if you're an Ender's Game fan. We can go watch the midnight showing. Um, so that's Romans 5.1. I'm going to keep moving quickly. Uh, because then, um, thinking now one through five total, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have not, not, not around him, not above him, not under him, through him, we have also obtained access, this glorious word, access, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, uh, security, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, and it's one of these sort of nice little chains that Paul comes up with. We rejoice in our sufferings, not because of our sufferings, but in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, or what the King James Version calls patience, um, produces endurance or patience, and that endurance produces character or experience, as King James would call it, um, produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So here's the way I want to approach this brief passage, this brief but so dense and so important passage. I'm going to stay close to my notes here. Um, we can think of this word which is emerging, the law, um, not the law as in the Decalogue of Moses. Um, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. You shalt not steal, murder, commit adultery, not covet, the internal motivation. Um, but the law, much more broadly defined, this thing which Paul has already said and to which he will continue to refer, uh, is the thing which um, outside of me, as the truth is out there, tells me who I actually am. This word which defines me through to the bottom, de fini, all the way through to the end, this thing which tells me that inside of me is need that inside of me 
is imperfectibility, an inability, an inability, not, not uh, a lack of motivation or not a lack of tools or a lack of resources, but an inability, a psychogenetic defect that um, will not allow me to gain standing or access before God. The Almighty God stands there, and I stand here, and the twain shall not meet, save the one who was delivered over for my sins and raised for my justification. Um, so the law has this word, lex semper accusans, again, the Latin shorthand uh, that emerged out of, a, out of the Reformation, that the law always accuses and kills. And so the law begins to ask, um, and Paul picks up this sort of rhetoric in, in Romans. We'll see that in Romans 6 next week especially. Do you then, Gil, do you then do nothing for your justification? And we learn to respond, nothing at all. For as we suffer God's almighty power and our perfect and complete passivity, uh, we begin to see things differently and we begin to see things clearly. We begin to call spades spades and clubs clubs and hearts hearts. I begin to say, uh, I'm not able, I'm not able, I'm not able. Um, we begin to suffer being placed into a relationship with the Almighty God as Father, and we are placed, passivity, into an access through Christ's work then by His promise alone. As I suffer, and that word's going to become important, as I suffer a divine promise, I learn that suffering means passion. Passion means passivity, because that's what the word passion means, the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering of of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word compassion means to suffer with another. So the word passion, which means suffering, also means passivity. That in my passivity, I suffer through something, or I suffer through another. And that, of course, is what Paul really picks up here. That our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope never puts us to shame. What is shame? Hope never whispers that word that you not only did wrong, but you are wrong. That's what shame is. Um, and hope never whispers that word that says you are wrong. It would have been better if you were never born. Um, for you are no people, you are not loved, and you have no access. That's the word of the law. That's not the word of hope. That's not the word of this, this suffering passively through the Almighty God placing me before him in access. So you can hear some good news beginning to brew here. If this is really true, remember the truth is out there. If you've got to buy that first before you can get all this, and I'm anticipating the responses. This is my own head. If Well, if that's not true, then all this is wrong. That's right. I mean, you've got to find your foundations, and you've got to really make sure your foundations are what they are because you build on those wrong, and everything up here is false. Everything up here is going to tumble. And so you got to make sure this is right. But if it is right, suffering means passion, and passion means passivity, and passion, which itself means suffering or undergoing hardship. And so passivity then is the joy of saying to the law and its question, do you then do nothing for your justification, for your standing before this almighty God? Uh, and your response, my response, nothing at all. And I rejoice in my suffering, which is to say I rejoice in my passivity, uh, as I suffer the loss of the law's word over me, as I can tell the law, look, law, and your accusation, your word of judgment, your word of whisper that says I, I, I would be better off if I was never born, you've got me confused with somebody else. For you see, I'm already a dead man. 
You've already done your work to me. Remember the law's word, the two works of God is to amplify our sins so as to kill us. So then as a dead man, and Paul picks this up especially in Ephesians 2, it says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Not you're dying or you once. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And it's exactly for that death that Christ Jesus was delivered over to death, trespasses, and then raised for our justification. That's the whole theme of Romans 6. So I respond to the law. Um, I do nothing at all. For I rejoice in my suffering as I suffer the loss of the law's word over me, producing endurance, character, and hope, all of which have been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. So here's my heart. It has no hands. <laughs> it has no voice. It's just sitting there, and here comes the liquid, the love of God being poured in. And that's a description of who we are in this passivity, passivity being passion, passion being suffering, suffering eventually producing hope, which responds no word of shame, no word of judgment, no word of, of uh, it would have been better. So all of this is going to result in some really good news here, and I'm about to shift gears to elevate the mundane and to elevate this to where it's really, really good news for those of us who live in the real world uh, as, as sinners and not as super Christians. But I'm going to hit pause. Time for a comment or two. Um, I do want to keep moving. Yeah, Jim? I'm always passivity you're talking about and the first line says we have been justified through faith mm-hmm. and faith in a late stand understanding implies some act on your part and my part are you saying that's a gift and either you have it or you don't or is it an act of the will um i'm saying it's a gift either you have it or you don't because i'm going to reframe it in two ways um because it's good and paul's going to pick this up again i think it is next week in romans 6 he has all these rhetorical questions that he begins to answer Faith is not the, the last holdout, our last final gift. It's not sort of the pool that's out there that's, that's clean. Um, because faith, uh, pistis, which is the noun form of the verb belief, we then pull into this extra nos, this truth is out there, uh, where I want to really hang my hat on the word authorship and authority. Where if my life is not my own, but it's been bought with a price, and I actually am dead in my trespasses and sins, then my coming forth out of the grave like Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. What, what, what willfulness, what faithfulness does a dead man have to respond to that logizomai? The word became verb. Christ Jesus himself and his creative word that does not find but creates that which is there. So from death, my death as a sinner, Gil, come forth. For I am now authoring faith belief in you. Um, faith, best sort of analogy, I think, in our world is trust. Trust isn't, it's kind of like humility, I think. Uh, we, 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 we look in the rearview mirror and we, we recognize, you know, I'm, I trust him. I trust her. It's not sort of a willful act because trust is demonstrated. Um, in that sense, you know, you could say it's earned. I like to say better, it's, it's a it's demonstrated with repeated trustworthy behavior. So Christ Jesus, so God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were dead, he died for me so that I might have life. So that's my first part. Second part, and I said this, and there's, there's some interpretation because this caused some, some, some conversation um, in between classes with some folks. 
uh, in Romans 1, it says, for we have been justified by faith through faith. So there's this really interesting sort of prepositional wordplay going on, by faith through faith. How are we justified by faith or by grace through faith? Um, God doesn't look down and say, well, I recognize this pool this last remaining sort of work, as it were, in Gill or in Henry or Donna or whoever else, that I can recognize and say, well, that's enough for me to work with. You know, that one half of one percent, that's all I need, and I'll amplify the rest. It only takes a spark to get a fire going kind of thing. Um, What does he look down on, as it were, God, and recognize that I can hang my hat on that? What event is trustworthy? Or what reality is trustworthy? The cross. So in a certain sense, God's faith, the faith that he reckons to me, is not my own, but Christ's work, his finished work on the cross. God's faithfulness, as it were. My justification through faith is God's faith in the trustworthiness of Christ's final act, his death and resurrection. And so then I am free. Freedom is the big word. As Christ is the end of the law, that I am free to be justified, to be brought into a relationship by God through nothing of my own. Did you do anything for your salvation, Gil? Did you do anything for your justification? And I reply, nothing. What about faith? Where does that play in? God does not recognize my faith, but his own faith in his own act of death and resurrection. And then he imputes that. He words it, logizomai, to me. Because as Al Ellison was standing right there, an accountant, and I said, where does imputation occur in our modern parlance? It's still there in accounting. What does that mean? It means if you impute assets into another person's account, it's as good as there. And he imputes assets into my account. And it's not, um, uh, it's not earned. It's not, um, uh, it's not anything. It's just there. It's not even trusted. It's just there. It's reality. It's, it's just there. Extranos, the truth is out there. Not something four out of five dentists would know. It just is. You got to buy into the foundations um, and see all this. So that's my approach. Great question. It's one I have to keep telling myself again and again and again. What is this faith that is my access point? Is it something about me? Is it my? Is it the forcefulness with which the forcefulness with forcefulness? with which I squeeze my eyes when I pray. I really believe, you know, because it feels like it. It feels like it. If I would just believe harder. Believe harder. What does that mean? You know, the greatest, the hardest thing is to convince yourself to believe that, in fact, I have grace and peace. So let me continue, because I really want to get to this. Great question. Um... So what's this good news for people who live in the real world, this elevation in the mundane? This is going to be for while we were still weak, verse 6, at the right time, that word is kairos. If you've been to Curcio or Happening or um, uh, Vocare, which is the college version, uh, the prison ministry for that renewal movement in the the Episcopal Church and some of the other ones is called kairos. And it means an appointed time, um, a special time, a set-apart time, not the chronos, tick, 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 but the kairos. Um, so for a while we were still weak, um, while I was morally naive, helpless, King James would say, um, at the right time at Kairos, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ didn't die for any part of me that was worth dying for. 
he died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare die. Um, two categories introduced. Don't want to get tra- traced off here. Righteousness and good. Uh, because Paul then quickly moves on to say, you're neither righteous nor good. Um, but for God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So what's this good news? Um, I want to be clear here. Theology. Because I mean, I get up and I love it. It's fun. You know, um, uh, theology did not die for you. Theology did not die for me. This is my defense why we are in fact free as lay folk to... Uh, to say, yeah, I'm really into theology. I want to learn about it. Because theology didn't die for us. Um, theology didn't d- demonstrate its love for me in this, that while I was still sinning, theology died for me. So what am I trying to do? Sort of reframe this idea of theology as sort of an abstract thinking, sort of like you know, literary criticism surrounding, um, I don't know, Oscar Wilde. You know, that's a whole sort of area. Or it's not sort of biology. You know, theology, philosophy, not not a university department. Dismiss that. Theology, as we're understanding, I'm trying to put it forth, is just living life on life's terms, and I'm asking myself, what's real? What can I hang my hat on? Because it's true. None of that died for me. Um, But if we miss this, this is why I get so exercised with it. If we miss these ideas, because we all think about them, you know, moments in our life, these kairoses in our life, usually death, birth, um, uh, an impasse, um, news, you know, the phone, something, there are these moments in our life which define us, which come through to the end and say, this is who you really are. Uh, these shining lights that, that, that like an x-ray, reveal um, our fears, our hopes, our hopes and fears for all the years, which rest on a certain particular point, uh, that's why it matters. Um, uh, Penn Jillette or uh, Louis C.K., um, you know, they, 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 they seem to love to say, I don't know them, obviously, uh, that we know they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Um, Christians, you know, who wants them because they say one thing and they do another? And I want to say, you're exactly right, because you don't understand who Christians are because most Christians don't understand who Christians are. Because here's my bridge. Christians are people. While we were yet sinners, that includes us who've been going to church or whatever else our whole life, that we don't graduate from one order, genus, phylum, species, to another. Homo sapiens doesn't become homo spiritus, as I've said several times. We don't become homo Christus, where we become little Christs running around. This is going to be the thunder of Romans 7, just sort of building all this up, where Christians don't know who Christians are. Theology, extra nos, this whole truth is out there. I really should get this. Um, uh, tells us who we are because it retains this authorship and this authority. So, actual people who live in the real world, why is this important? Because it's true. And then we could respond to Penn Jillette and say, you know, I have compassion on you 
for your anger and why you're saying all this because you've been hurt. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you're being, you know, being told a bunch of stuff that doesn't make any sense because there's some really bad ideas that are going out there is calling it Christianity. And then I have compassion on the hypocrite, those who are saying it because they don't know any better. The whole psychodynamic of sin is sort of playing itself out. And then I have a hearty response, well, of course I'm a hypocrite. I'm 100% wrong. How did Paul's all say it one time? All of us, you know, 80% of us are 80% wrong 100% of the time, or something like that. <laughs> where he just had these layers where you couldn't really understand what it was. And I think his point was just to say, like, it's just this mangled ball that you can't pull apart and try to figure out, okay, I'm right about this, but I'm wrong about that. I mean, that's the way in. Uh, so why is this good news? Again, staying pretty close to my notes so we can get to the uh, little piece here. Um, this is good news that I'm not something other than a human and I'm not supposed to be, which in fact now elevates you wherever you exactly are. You know, theologian or not, I'm, quote, just a mom, I'm just a normal Christian. Uh, there, there, there is no such thing. There's no qualifier for a Christian. And there's no qualifier for the gospel. As I was going through this, the NIV Study Bible, which is the blue cover, which I use. I like it. I really do. And so I'm about to say something against it. This is where it picks it up. And it's prefaced to Romans, this little piece. It says, and so here in Romans, Paul outlines the basic gospel. And you realize Paul outlines the basic gospel. There's a qualifier. Oh, the basic gospel. Well, I'm done with that. You know. <laughs> Where's the advanced gospel? <laughs> there is no such thing for advanced Christians, for good Christians. There is no such thing. Christ Jesus died, yea, more than that, was raised just for you, for a sinner. There is no homo Christus, homo spiritus, homo anything else. There's just people. Why is this good news? It's good news because now the, for, for, for the moms who at 3.54 in the afternoon are going crazy, Crazy and waiting for five o'clock to happen so you can libate. Um, uh, you know, this is good news. It's good news for the dad who's trying, uh, and then every night he's like, you know, when it's quiet and finally your kids are nice because they're asleep, um, you're thinking, okay, I can do this, and I, I really want to be a good dad and I want to be a good husband, and then tomorrow comes and I find it's not in me to do it. I mean, it's just evoked in me again to fail. This is good news where it elevates the mundane anywhere, where I realize that I'm not super spiritual. I don't even know what Jesus would do, much less being able to do it. I'm not radical enough to move to Africa, much less even give more than $10 at the plate. Um, I don't even know what a pledge is. I can't run a 40 and 48 anymore. I can't do any of this stuff. You know, the Bible in the Year blog. I'm already behind. You know, help. You know, I mean, who am I? All of this is good news because it elevates us and it says, just go back. Don't worry about it. Um, Christ Jesus was delivered for your trespasses and raised for your justification. So if you're two days behind, just plug in. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, it frees us, um, not from the mundane, but I want to say it actually frees us to the mundane. That there is no such thing as I'm just an ordinary Christian. It actually begins to impregnate each moment, tick, 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 with something that is approaching meaning and purpose. Um, so, 
where does this play out? Let's look at a couple. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. You remember this? Um, is that Spielberg? Is that right? End of the movie. Um, Tom Hanks's character, uh, uh, Captain John Miller. Um, he's dying. He just got shot. Uh, he and his platoon were given the task to go find Ryan, Private Ryan, because he's like one of four brothers, all of whom were fighting in Europe, and three of them died. And and uh, like the chief of staff got wind of this and said, we need to get this last son so that the mother doesn't have all four of her sons die. And so they say, yeah, that's a good idea. This is kind of around the idea of, of what Paul says, you know, for a righteous man, nobody would die because they don't exist. But for a good man, someone might dare die. Um, this is Private Ryan because it even plays out where then Private Ryan, that's Matt Damon's character, we're going to see this at the end, um, uh, the dying words of Tom Hanks, James, if, if you haven't seen it, Sorry, it's been out for a while. Um, <laughs> James, earn this. Earn it. And then he dies. Um, and then uh, Matt Damon stands there, you know, dying words. I mean, I'd be this too. It affects him. Um, it's a great movie, by the way. I have no qualms against the movie. It's a great illustration. Here I am. And he stands there, and then Matt Damon sort of melts away from from 18-year-old kid fighting in the European front to 60-something-year-old man visiting John Miller's grave in Normandy. Um, uh, and his wife comes up to him, and, 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 and near tears, he turns to his wife and he says, Tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Now, it's a movie. You know, it's got drama, but contrived, but, but it's also real. I do think this is there. He was given a word. He was worded by a dying man. Earn this, James. Earn this. Uh, and now he wants in arrears to be told, he wants to be worded by his wife, some access, that I've been a good man. For a good man, someone might dare die. Uh, and yet, James Ryan, just like you, just like me, he, uh, uh, there's, no, there's no goodness in him. Um, on the vertical plane, as good a man as James Ryan might have been, as moral, because that's what the word in the, in the Greek means, the morality, it really wants to say, our morality, I said this the first week, is in fact our greatest barrier between a, 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 a father-son, a father-daughter relationship to God. Um, the Pharisees had morality locked. And who did Jesus have the most invective for? So here's this... Um, uh, death of morality, as it were. And then we're going to quote John, Charles Wesley and we'll be done. It's very short. Earn this. Earn it, he says. It's going to be the end of a quote from a letter of Abraham Lincoln. Don't worry about that. cherished memory of the loved and lost, and the solemn pride must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln, yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff. That was the letter from George Marshall to Mrs. Ryan, the mom.
With that in full view, um, and think about this imaginary, the truth is out there, you know, it's the hovering UFO and all that stuff, remember that. It's never, ever an obvious thing, even, maybe especially for a Christian, it's never an obvious thing that the Almighty God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life that God so loved, both in the sense that he loved the world that much and also in the sense that he loved it in that way, that God so loved that much and he loved in that way, that he demonstrated it that while I was ungodly, weak, a sinner, and his enemy, those are the four ways Romans 5 describes it, he demonstrated a trustworthy act in his death, in his one full sacrifice, oblation, satisfaction for my sins. And then Charles Wesley captures it in a couple of hymns. Love moved him to die, and on this we rely. He hath loved, he hath loved us, we cannot tell why. And then he goes on in the hymn, And it can it be that I should gain, and can it be that I should gain an interest or a part in the Savior's blood? He died for me, who caused his pain for me, who him uh, to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Tis mystery all the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? He left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free for oh my god it found out me no condemnation now i dread jesus and all in him is mine alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine bold i approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through christ my own bold i approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through christ my own